So this is from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had gone, uh, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who has gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Brilliant. Can I add my welcome to Alison's? It's great uh, to see everyone. Uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to look at this wonderful encounter in John's Gospel. And we pray by your spirit that our time together in your word would be life-giving and soul-satisfying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I can't get no satisfaction is a classic Rolling Stones hit, probably one of the greatest, Lou approves. It was released in 1965, but 56 years on, I think we'd all agree that the sentiment is still well and truly alive. We change jobs, change relationships, change clothes, change phones, 
change homes, and yet satisfaction still eludes us. And as we've seen in our passage, this is no modern issue. And yet Jesus provides an incredible answer to this timeless problem. But what type of satisfaction does Jesus offer? Who does Jesus offer satisfaction to? And how is he able to offer it? Let's dive into our passage to find out. So my first point, an eyebrow raising encounter, verses one to nine. As Jesus grows in popularity, tension starts to rise with the Pharisees and he decides to head north to Galilee. John tells us in verse four that he had to go through Samaria, which looking at a map seems an obvious choice. It's both quick and direct. And yet, if you were a strict Jew in Jesus's day, you never had to go through Samaria. In fact, you did everything you could do to avoid it. The reason being, Samaria was inhabited by a racially mixed group, part Jew, part gentle, who just weren't kosher. In fact, we're told in verse nine, Jews didn't even associate with Samaritans at the time. So whilst we're not given the specific reason why Jesus had to go via Samaria, it was probably more than just speed. More likely, perhaps, he had a divinely appointed meeting with a Samaritan woman, and we're about to see that this was no ordinary encounter. By verse five, Jesus has reached Sica in Samaria. He's tired from traveling. It's the middle of the day, so it's boiling and he's thirsty. It's at this point that the Samaritan woman comes to draw water and Jesus turns to her and asks, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman is shocked. She wasn't expecting to meet anyone. In fact, she avoided going to the well first thing when the other women went, preferring the heat to their snide remarks. She knew she was a social outcast. And yet for some reason, this Jewish man is speaking to her Astonished, she manages to stutter out an answer. You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? This really is eyebrow raising stuff. In fact, it's scandalous. By engaging with this shunned woman, Jesus is breaking every single social norm of the day. He's crossing cultural, racial, gender and moral boundaries to connect with her. According to all conventions, he shouldn't speak to her, but he does. And John's gospel as a whole makes it very clear that Jesus and the life he offers doesn't discriminate on the basis that we so often do. It's worth just pausing for a moment and thinking about who's the equivalent of the Samaritan woman today. Who does our society shun? Or who do we write off, assuming they're too far from God? Do we have friends, family or colleagues that we won't speak to about our faith? Or is there someone you wouldn't ask along to a chapel service, perhaps because of their background, lifestyle or even political views? Could it be that Jesus is wanting to meet with them? Or maybe you've even written yourself off, assuming you've messed up for God just one too many times. Maybe you're here, but wondering if you should be. You feel a bit on the outside, a bit lost or lonely at the moment. Well, if this is you, perhaps just like Jesus had to go via Samaria to speak to this woman, 
He had to bring you here today to show that he wants to meet you too. Keep listening. Next, we'll see Jesus's offer of a life-giving, soul-satisfying gift. My second point, a life-giving, soul-satisfying gift, verses 10 to 15. Jesus replies to the woman, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What is Jesus talking about? The Samaritan woman clearly doesn't know and assumes Jesus is talking literal physical water and in verse 11 to 12 rather scoffs at Jesus. Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Basically, how are you going to get this water, Jesus? You don't even have a bucket. Living water is certainly an unusual phrase. And in verse 14, we learn that Jesus is using it as a picture of eternal life. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The picture here is rather lost on us Brits. We're not usually short on water. In fact, we spend most of our lives checking the weather and hoping it's not going to rain. But if you've ever experienced true thirst, you will know how horrible it is. A few years ago, I was in Uganda on a work trip. I got quite sick and ended up collapsing due to dehydration and, and being whisked off to hospital. I was put on a drip and thankfully, as they pumped fluid back into my body, I sort of slowly came back to life and started to feel myself again. But if the doctors hadn't managed to get fluids back into me, the long and short of it is that I would have died. Water is essential for life. So as Jesus offers the Samaritan woman living water, he's basically offering her a gift that is as important for her soul as water is for her body. Without water, her body will die. And similarly, without Jesus, she will experience spiritual death. And the same goes for us. But the metaphor of water goes even further. The gift that Jesus is offering is not only life-giving, but soul-satisfying. As I mentioned earlier, the song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, resonates because we spend our lives searching for it. It might be in relationships, which we'll see later it is for the Samaritan woman. It might be in our family, our careers, our plan to buy a property or to make the big move to the country, which seems to be the thing at the moment since, lock since lockdowns began. Yet no matter how many of these things we put in place, the feeling of satisfaction never lasts. The thirst always returns. We live rather like addicts looking for our next satisfaction fix. The question is, when will we realise this? And as those who work in politics, we know that no matter what we do, it will never be enough. We don't have to look far back in history or even at the news today to see that changes to the law or government policy are never going to satisfy people's deepest longings. As C.S. Lewis once said, within each of us is a God-shaped hole. We try to fill it with many things, yet always come up short. Only our loving creator can fill the void. 
And yet, whilst the Samaritan woman is interested in what Jesus is saying, she still hasn't grasped she has a much deeper need than her physical thirst. While she loves the idea of not being thirsty again, verse 15, she hasn't realised that Jesus is offering her far more than just a, a new tap or water source. So at this point, Jesus makes a remarkable revelation, firstly about the woman, but even more importantly, about who he is. So my third point, a remarkable revelation, verse 16 to 26. Realising the woman still hasn't got it, Jesus decides to go straight for her heart. Look down with me again at verse 16. Speaking to the Samaritan woman, Jesus said, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. At first glance, it could look like Jesus is trying to embarrass her, but I don't think this is the case. It doesn't fit with how he's treated her so far. Instead, he's wanting to expose the reality of what she's living for, the false idol that she had placed her hope in. We don't know if that idol was sex or security, love or livelihood, but we do know it wasn't giving her what she wanted and never could. Just like in all of us, her thirst for endless water revealed her thirst for something far deeper, something which is only available in the Lord Jesus. But Jesus's remarkable and intimate revelation here is not simply a revelation about the woman. It's a revelation about who he is, his identity. The reason he knows everything about her and can see right into her heart is because he's no ordinary man not even just a prophet, as the woman initially suspects in verse 19. But rather, he is God himself. And in verse 26, Jesus confirms this, explaining that he is God's promised Messiah. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Extraordinary. God himself has visited this outsider, this outcast of a woman, to offer her soul-satisfying life-giving life. But how can he do it? Well, the reason he can offer this extraordinary gift of living water was because he himself was thirsty. The reason Jesus met her at the well was because he needed a drink. Jesus, the son of God, having given up his glory to become a human, was tired and thirsty too. And as we read on in John's gospel, we realise this was not the last time that Jesus was thirsty. Right at the end of John's Gospel, we see Jesus hanging on a cross. And just before he dies, he cries out, I am thirsty. And this was no ordinary thirst. At the cross, Jesus was being cut off from the Father, the source of living water, so that we could have a relationship with God forever. He was experiencing the ultimate eternal thirst so that you and I could have our spiritual thirst satisfied. By dying on the cross, Jesus was able to offer eternal life to whoever believes in him, even the most unlikely of people, a Samaritan woman, as well as you and me. 
the Rolling Stones song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, continues because I try and I try and I try. Well, if you're here today and you're tired of trying, tired of looking, tired of searching, will you come to the true source of living water, the Lord Jesus today, the only one who can quench your deep spiritual thirst? If you'd like to know more about this wonderful offer, why not speak to Alison, Mark or myself? We'd be absolutely delighted to chat more. And if you are a follower of Jesus, let's remember that his gift of living water never runs dry. He gave everything so that we could have satisfying, lasting life in him. In hard circumstances, it's so easy to forget this and go looking for satisfaction in other things. But let's remember that they will always come up empty. In contrast, what Jesus offers truly is soul satisfying and life giving. No matter who you are, what your background, status or history is, whether you're an outsider, skeptic or believer, Jesus makes the same amazing offer to each of us today. Whoever drinks of the water I give them, will never thirst. Let's turn to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that the living water that Jesus offers will never run dry. Thank you that incredibly, the Lord Jesus was prepared to thirst and go to the cross in our place so that whoever believes in him really can have life forever in his name. Please, Lord, refresh us today with these soul-satisfying truths. In your son's name. Amen.